Welcome to Clarified Butter, the podcast about meals, memories, and milk fats. I'm your host, Amy Allen. Today, I'm speaking with Greg Phillips. He's a writer and a dad. Welcome, Greg. Thank you. Thank you very much. I'm excited. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm, I'm excellent. You know, fall is almost here. And you know, the great thing to me, it's like you got June and September, and they're almost kind of comparable temperature-wise. Right. But I hate June because you're just getting started with summer. And the nice thing about, like, you know, right now, summer's trying to kind of have its last way with us, and it's really hot. But I'm like, yeah. it's okay, summer, because your time is about done. Fall is coming. <laughs> it's all right. And fall in North Carolina is like the most beautiful season it's anyway. It's the best. Isn't it, though? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And uh, I think people can tell already from your voice, you're not from North Carolina. True. Not originally, <laughs> but people, because of my accent, people tend to think I just got here. But I did move to North Carolina 20 years ago. 20 so years have, ago. I, I do feel yeah. very much, you know, mm-hmm. um, like I'm from, not you're from here. but a North Carolinian. I am. Claim I am. It. I yeah. think so. Yeah. So, so you grew up in England. Where, where in England did you grow up? I grew up uh, on Canvey Island, which uh, is an island in the estuary of the Thames. Most of most people are familiar with the River Thames, flows mm-hmm. in the middle of London. Well, I grew up on an island in the estuary where that opens up into the English Channel. Now, that sounds like you know windswept island out in the middle of nowhere. It's really not. It's a commuter town for London. If you go about thirty miles east of London, that's where it is. Right next to the mainland, so there's like two bridges, and if the tide's out, it's, you could walk across it. It'd be like mud. Okay. But, but yeah, so it's it's just a kind of like a suburb, really. A suburb on the coast. Yeah. And so, and you moved here about twenty years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what too. was what was that experience like? What was the sort of culture shock of moving to America? Well, it's funny because you know, I mean, I was twenty one at the time, fresh out of college, so I guess uh, I was kind of pretentious, and I used to pretentiously <laughs> describe myself as culturally naked, like when I moved here. And the weird thing is, because you think, okay, you're moving to a country where the language is the same, so you know, it'd be pretty simple. And of course, for most most in most ways, it is. You know, I could mm-hmm. talk, I could converse with people, most people. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like that movie, uh, the movie Pulp Fiction, you know, where they're describing, it's describing the difference between Amsterdam and the US. And he says mm-hmm. it's the same, same stuff there that you've got here, but it's just a little different. Mm-hmm. So, like, one of the things that freaked me out the most was going grocery shopping. Yeah. So, like, I moved over here to be with my girlfriend, and we later got married. Um, and so we would go grocery shopping, and she'd be like, okay, well, like, what do you want? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> and it was the same, like, there's a cereal aisle, you uh-huh. know, and then there's the canned goods aisle, and there's all these aisles. But all the labels were, like, different. Right. And, and so that kind of f- sort of freaked me out in a way. It just sets As- you off. Right. And especially because you can't even trust what you think you know. Like cornflakes, for example, right? Cornflakes. Everyone knows cornflakes. Yeah. The box, the cornflakes box, is the same in the US as it is in the UK. Mm-hmm. Right? Same. You, the box looks the same. You open a bag, you pour them out, they look the same, they smell the same. You put milk on them and taste them, they're different. How- just a bit different. Just like. Like sweeter or. No, I mean, now a lot of stuff in the US is sweeter, but with, with cornflakes. I actually found them to be a bit less flavorful, like a huh. bit less crunchy, a bit huh. thinner. Maybe uh-huh. it was because, you know, the, the U.S. producers had already thought, hey, we can like, make more money if we just make the cornflakes a bit a little thinner. thinner. And yeah. they just didn't have the same, same flavor to me. Yeah. Um, and I'm sure if I'd grown up with the U.S. ones and gone to the U.K., but I was, was messed up about these cornflakes. Right. But it just wasn't what I was You're used like, to. What's these heavy cornflakes Right, yeah. right, right. <laughs> um, yeah, was there something that when you got here, other than things just being slightly different that you couldn't find, that you missed a lot? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah. and over time I've come to um, you know get better at finding these things. But on the subject of breakfast, so Weetabix is this cereal that mm-hmm. I always ate growing up. And mm-hmm. now, thanks to uh, certain outlets uh, in the area, I can eat it here. Mm-hmm. But when I first came over, I couldn't find Weetabix anywhere. Mm-hmm. And it was just really distressing to me because <laughs> it's, you know, I mean... Obviously, the point of this podcast is this, these these food experiences that we share, and you know, to, I guess feeling so disconnected from everything that I knew. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things I would always cling to was always eat Weetabix for breakfast. I mean, not like yeah. every day; that'd be weird. But that was like my <laughs> favorite breakfast food, and because yeah. I couldn't find it, it was one of the many little things that made me feel a bit kind of unmoored. Right, feel like, you know you're I mean? at sea when you don't have just right. your touchstones. Right, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So what are Weetabix? Okay, so Weetabix, um, and it's a shame because I've got a box here, but that's no good for people who are listening to a podcast, obviously. But Okay, a distant cousin, if you like, to shredded wheat, in the sense okay. of what you're talking about is individual large kind of oblong-shaped things. Uh-huh. But whereas shredded wheat is shredded wheat, Weetabix is like crushed wheat ground into this like oblong thing. So it's one brick. It's like a brick. Okay. You know, like shredded wheat's kind of hollow, sort of, you know. You know yeah. But no, Weetabix spongy. is, right, it's compressed, so uh-huh. it's just wheat. And the great thing about it is it's, it's healthy. There's no not a bunch of sugar or colours in it. It's just a brick of wheat, wheat. is all it is. <laughs> uh-huh. And you put milk on it and sugar, you know, if you want a bit more flavour. And mm-hmm. then, and, you know, 
you eat it. And, and it's absolutely it. delicious, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've got a couple of... I always, I've got boxes at work. I've got yeah. boxes here. So it's not like a cereal that you pour into the bowl. It's no. like a brick you take out and... Exactly, after. yeah. The box has like two columns, two paper-wrapped <laughs> columns of 12 bricks each. And you uh-huh. take out however many bricks you want. Uh-huh. You know, most people take one or two. Well, I mean, I used to eat four, but you know, as you get older, <laughs> now generally I'll have three. Three Weetabix mm-hmm. in a bowl. But yeah. there you go. Well... So that was what you missed, but was there something that you discovered that you... Oh, yeah, yeah. totally, totally. Well, and I mean, you know, I feel like everybody that comes to North Carolina ends up getting excited about these two things, but I don't Mm. care about being a a (laughs) cliche. So number one is barbecue, obviously. And and I'm very much an Eastern barbecue guy. Good man. Well, I mean, partly because, you know, most of my time in North Carolina has been spent in the central and eastern part of the state. Mm -hmm. Uh, But also, I love vinegar. So the vinegar-based one was always, like, right in my wheelhouse, as they say. I mean, when I went to the mountains and had that tomato-y stuff, I'm like, well, this is okay. But, I mean, it didn't get me excited or anything. Right. So barbecue is the one thing. And the other Mm -hmm. thing is banana pudding. Because mm. I love bananas. Mm-hmm. And then, like, banana pudding. I was like, wow, th- this is almost like a... F- you know, if they had a focus group dessert and I was the only person <laughs> in the focus group, that's what they would come up with. Would be <laughs> yeah, the, the perfect food. But the one thing I discovered early on is, you like, you've got to be careful. Because, you know, some places you go... Especially if you're getting, like, a tub of it from a grocery store deli or something, uh-huh. but it's not a reputable store. You say, oh, banana pudding, and there's no bananas in it. Have you ever no. had that? Where it's just the, put- the banana-flavored pudding yeah. with, like, a little bit of cream on top. And I just feel so ripped off when that happens. It's when it's just sort of, like, basically just vanilla pudding right with, like right. yellow pudding with whipped cream yeah. and maybe some nello that, that, i mean i feel like you yeah. want to be able to i mean this is america you want to be able to sue places like that for false <laughs> if there's no bananas in it you shouldn't be allowed <laughs> to use that to call it banana, banana pudding right banana, no banana, i understand banana. because i a good banana pudding is staggering oh it's yeah so good it's so refreshing and sweet and just hits the spot and it's soothing but if it's if it's flat, it can be so bland and right, sort right. of mushy and uninteresting. Well, I guess that's the price you pay for something that's just like so wonderful, so close to perfection. But if you don't get it right, <laughs> uh-huh. you know what I mean. It's just, it can't help but be a terrible disappointment. Right. You know. Yeah. Well, so what? I mean, because you're from North Carolina, right? I am. So besides banana pudding, what are the other North Carolina desserts that really like hit your spot? Oh, North Carolina desserts. Well, not necessarily North Carolina, but you know, like American yeah. Southern desserts. American. I think I well, I, one that immediately jumps to mind is peach cobbler. Okay. Okay. Is yeah. That, uh, I think frequently if you go to any sort of barbecue, pig picking, and there's the little the tr- you have the folding tables of right. styrofoam cups with sweet tea and lemonade and water and styrofoam bowls with banana pudding and uh, peach cobbler. Uh, that right In summer when peaches are really ripe, peach cobbler is just the best. Because it's essentially just peaches with brown sugar and butter all right. over them. See, the British equivalent of that, well, I mean, uh-huh. you've got it here too, but to me, like the, the kind of comfort food level equivalent of that is apple crumble. Oh, yeah. Know? Like mm-hmm. my, my nan, which is, you know, British slang for grandmother, my nan mm-hmm. and my, uh, my dad's like, she would make... Um, this apple crumble, apple crumble and custard. Oh, oh. my goodness! <laughs> apple crumble and custard. And that's one of the things I've had. Apple, what well, I would consider apple crumble here, and it's uh-huh. been delicious. It's been great, right. just not quite the just same. Not you know quite, I mean? yeah. And I think that's not just being in a different country, but also it not being. You, I have things that my grandmother makes that if someone else makes, this isn't quite sure, sure, right. Yeah. Uh, well, something you, about grandmothers. I think so. Yeah. You were talking about southern desserts, and it made me think of something that my grandmother, one of her specialties is these uh, pulled butter mints, uh, huh. which is uh, it's just sugar and butter and water, uh, and then mint oil, peppermint oil, that is pulled like taffy by hand. Right. And I have learned how to make them. Uh, I made them last Christmas, and they're great, but there's a certain magic to someone who has been making them for... 70 years or more um and that i can't i just they don't i could never make them taste quite that good i mean that may be when i'm 80 right exactly <laughs> you, you have to have a certain amount of years under your belt and then right. magically it's like oh you know then you, yeah. you develop the ability yeah and it's really that those particularly seem like alchemy because if the if the barometric pressure is off if there's too much humidity in the air right if it's too warm of a day they won't they set overnight from being hard candy to like soft melty candy right in a tin and i don't know what happens you put them in a tin and magic happens wow but if the weather's not right right it's one of those uh this seems like a southern thing to me like a farmer's almanac type of thing where you have to check your farmer's almanac to know if you can make the food successfully 
I wonder, I mean, if like climate change is going to affect that. Like you might oh, not be yeah. able to get that kind of taffy stuff because if, if we get yeah. a few degrees off, and if it's the just humidity not go changes, right. I'm yeah. going to have to move to know, right. Indiana to get the right, right climate to make my, my butter mints. <laughs> you know what's interesting about it? Because, okay, so you think about food a lot. Here's something that I've often wondered about with regards to desserts and mints. I love mint ice cream, especially mm-hmm. in the summer, right? Oh, it's so yeah. cool and refreshing. One of the weird things to me is, mm-hmm. like, psychologically, to me, mint ice cream has to be green. Or it's not as good. Yeah. And that makes no sense. Because to me, it's like, if you give me, um, like, store brand, cheapy, crappy mint ice cream, but it's green, uh-huh. and then you give me, like, the, the greatest, like, <laughs> you know, handmade, artisan, you know, ice cream that's mint and it's white, I'll go for the green every time. Uh-huh. And not because I'm just saying it's got to be green. It will taste better to me. And it's something about my brain telling me right. that mint ice cream should be green. I think I, st- I, I always, I frequently, you as a North Carolinian have discovered cookout. Oh, yes, 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 you know this. Um, uh, so I, in the summer, I always get a mint chip milkshake from right. Cookout uh, because it's the most refreshing. And I think once you see the green, I already feel like I'm starting to cool off. Right, exactly. Like it's, oh, it's already taking effect just looking at it. The thing I struggle with, and I, and I love the mint uh, shakes from Cookout, mm-hmm. is that the chunks of chocolate are so big they won't go up the straw. Right, and you have to you have to work really hard. Yeah, I mean, and I, I don't you, mind earning it, but you know, you collapse right. the straw and right. you hurt your cheeks. And... I mean, I guess you know they do give you a spoon as well, <laughs> but no, but no, because I mean, you, you go through a drive-through, you're driving, right? But <laughs> right. I mean, it's bad enough you've got this milkshake in your hand, but mm-hmm. if you spoon. I'm not going to say I've never done that, like prop my elbow <laughs> against the steering wheel, and but uh, now I really want a mint shake from Cookout. Oh, I'm sorry. Well, it's an no, achievable okay, goal. It is, and tomorrow when I leave work, that's exa- I've already know. Hey, I've got mm-hmm. something to look forward to tomorrow. Yeah, mint shake from Cookout. Uh, that also reminds me, I I studied abroad in Greece, which is the only time I've spent outside of America. But there was a time when I. I was traveling through Italy and Switzerland for just a week, a whirlwind, insane, stressed out week of seeing beautiful things with friends. And we are kind of, our culture shock sort of mantra was just like achievable goals. Like just, just figure out like, do you want, do you want a coffee? Achievable goal. We'll make it happen. And then we'll like a little bit of stress relief. And when we're in this place where we don't speak the language and can't find anything that like makes us feel like we know what's going on and that language thing is huge you know there's a lot of people that said to me oh i couldn't have packed my life in a suitcase and moved like you know, across the ocean like i did but in some ways i don't feel like it's that big of a deal because like i said you know i could talk to people mm-hmm. and then like when i've had to in the last year i've been to china twice for work oh, yeah. and that freaked me out because i'm like here's these billions of people and i'm totally at their mercy if, if none of them <laughs> speak english i am i'm done i'm toast yeah you know and it's a really freaky thing it's strange i had an encounter once when I was lost and I we, with a group of other Americans and we ran into a woman and she spoke Greek and French and all the people in the group only spoke English and Spanish. <laughs> and so we were trying through right. the mixture of the four languages and a lot of awkward body language right. to get her to give us directions back to our school. And it worked out. There you go. We found it, but it was like, ah. Right. Um, but speaking of sort of the change, so food changes but i'm curious if the way people share meals changes in different places like if uh like for instance tea time is not a thing <laughs> yeah it's weird because you know that where i went to to school in england cause mm-hmm. I, I went to university in england and that was how you know, i ended up uh coming over here um, because there were a lot of American students who did their um, junior year, their year abroad, you know, mm-hmm. at this university, because they had a lot of ties with UNC. Mm-hmm. So, but what was funny about that was, all, we would all crack up at the American students because at three o'clock they would say, "Let's stop what we're doing and have tea." Like, uh-huh. Nobody does that. That's not a thing. <laughs> what What are you doing? And we just thought it was the most comical thing, you know. Now the thing is, I'm kind of an outlier uh, in some regards with British because I don't drink tea. Oh. I, I mean, I hate it. it it's uh-huh. a genetic thing. Like my mum, same thing. Just smell of it makes uh-huh. me want to heave. Uh-huh. Um, so I've never drunk it. The trouble with that is, you come over here uh-huh. and it's like, oh, he's British, and it, you know, Southern hospitality. People really want you know me to feel at home. So they're, oh, would you like some tea? Because everybody, of course, everybody in the South has their own sweet tea, right? Right. So they're like, would you like some tea? I'm like, no, I, I, thanks, mm-hmm. I don't drink tea. Yeah, but this is sweet tea. Well, yeah, I just don't. No, but you haven't had my sweet tea. <laughs> and the thing is, you know, you're, you're caught in that thing where you don't want to be 
be rude. Mm-hmm. But and, and most occasions, I'll say, yes, I will try your thing, and then, you know, thanks. <laughs> but tea, I cannot. I cannot. Right. I mean, yeah. there was once, I went to um, Smithfield's Chicken and Barbecue. You probably remember yeah. Smithfield's. Yeah. So I uh, used to go there to eat uh, lunch all the time at a newspaper I worked at. And I went with a friend of mine who was the photographer, and he knew that I, I hated tea. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we went in for lunch, we were placing our order. And, you know, at Smithfield's, mm-hmm. if you don't specify what drink you want, you get tea. Mm-hmm. So I'm in there, and I'm ordering from the young lady behind uh, the register. And, and she had this thing, which happened to me, still happens to me a lot in rural North Carolina. People hear me talk, and they're like, you see this glaze comes over their eyes. And they're thinking, wow, that's an interesting accent. Where's he from? And they're listening to the accent and not what I'm saying. So uh-huh. I'm ordering a Coke or a Pepsi <laughs> or whatever they've got. And so and she's like, oh, where are you from? Yeah, I'm from England, blah, blah, blah. So then she, um, she gives me my drink. But mm-hmm. because she was listening to my accent, she wasn't paying a bit of attention to what I ordered. And she handed me a tea. But I look at the lid of this, of this cup, and it's this dark. So I think, oh, it's my Coke. And I was really thirsty. It was a hot day. So I took this long glug on it, you know. And <laughs> And literally was just like, oh! and my friend Tracy was just looking at me and cracking up because he knew <laughs> but and I, you know I did not throw up in the middle of Smithfield but I literally thought I was going That's to I mean, it's just, oh. <laughs> yeah. but to get back to your original question <laughs> And, and at Smithfield, she wasn't listening and put slaw on my barbecue sandwich, and I hate slaw. Oh, and so really? that, that So that was all around the bad lunch. Is that? Do you just hate mayonnaise? No, I love mayonnaise. mayonnaise. It's, it's a slaw. weird thing. I don't. I love everything that's in slaw. You like cabbage? You like mayonnaise? Well, I mean, I'm not a huge fan of cabbage, but I can deal. Uh-huh. But you know, I love mayonnaise, and you know, they're, they're obviously different kind of um, uh, balances that people have in their slaw. Right. And most anything that goes in a slaw, I like. I just don't like Likes. the combination of it. Yeah. Kind of like pineapple on pizza, right? I love pineapple uh-huh. and I love pizza, but the two of them together, that's like an abomination <laughs> to me. I don't get it. Uh-huh. You know, and it's like, okay, strawberries and bacon. I love both those things, but I wouldn't have them together. That's just weird. I don't know whose idea <laughs> yeah. it was. I mean, I know people say, oh, with the pineapple and cheese compliments one another. No, you know, not no. in my palate. No. <laughs> but um, anyway, sorry. So, <laughs> so, sorry. So, like, the, these Americans would come to England and they would, like, stop to have tea. Mm-hmm. And that's not. I mean, even though I'm not a tea drinker, even for tea drinks, that's not a thing kind of that happens. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wouldn't say I noticed. A, to me, the difference in how meals are presented mm-hmm. um, is more a function of how it's different kind of 30 years ago when I was a kid than it is now. Uh-huh. Like when I was a kid, we had our, um, our dinner at like lunchtime. You know what I mean? They're like oh, the, yeah. That's when we would have our kind of regular cooked meal. And in the evening, what you, you guys probably call supper, that uh-huh. would be tea. So in the evening, uh-huh. and my, my parents still say, you want some tea. And they don't mean the drink. It mm-hmm. means like an evening meal, but like a light meal, you know, right. a sandwich or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but even by the time I was, uh, I was older, still living at home, like before I went off to college, that had changed and we had our main meal sort of in the evening. Okay. And some of that was because my mum my didn't work outside the house when we were little. So mm-hmm. we would come home um, from school at lunch and she would, have a cooked dinner and uh-huh. then in the evening we just have like a light snack or whatever mm-hmm. so that had changed by the time I came you know over here I guess the big difference that I saw in terms of coming to the south especially because you know when I moved to North Carolina um, lived in, in Carborough for a year but then we were out in, in kind of rural North Carolina down in Harnett County um, okay. yeah. and so there there was definitely there's more like this kind of communal thing going mm-hmm. on like I mean I never went to church growing up and, and, and never have but even outside of church events there were a lot more of these like you know these uh, family reunions or these community dinners where everybody right. would, like bring a dish yeah and lots that, of that, covered dish and potluck yeah I mean I never experienced any of that growing up no. a different kind of sense of community I guess but yeah. I mean I was all about that because uh-huh. you know you just turn up and then there'd be all this food you know <laughs> right. and it, I was like what a, what a wonderful egalitarian <laughs> ideal you bring one thing and then everybody gets to try everybody's thing right I mean this is why I love Thanksgiving so much uh-huh. I mean you know I mean obviously the the you could say that the origins of it kind of a bit sketchy or problematic, um, but <laughs> a I think it's great. I mean, sometimes people say, "Do you have Thanksgiving in England?" And I think, "Well, no." Just you know, and I give them a second to think about yeah. it. But the thing is, I mean, it's a great it's a great idea. You know, mm-hmm. let's take a day to be thankful for stuff, and I try to take time to do that. But what I love about the holiday itself is it's like Christmas, but without the aggravation of having to think of what presents to get people. <laughs> it's like, oh, just a big meal, right, a big meal, and then you sit on the couch and watch football, or in my case, just take a nap because I'm not interested in football. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Thanksgiving's just oh man, you know. And then especially if you're lucky enough, as I am now, to have a job where you get the Friday off too. Because when oh, I worked yeah. in newspapers, there were there were no Fridays off after Thanksgiving mm-hmm. off. That wasn't a thing that happened. But yeah. now it's like four day weekend. Get, yeah, the four day oh, weekend. Yeah. I remember in in school, November was like the best month because for some reason there'd be like it was the end of a quarter. You'd get a teacher work day. Right. There was no full week of school in the oh, whole wow. month of November, including yeah. the four day weekend for Thanksgiving. Um, and it's fall. You got yeah. like wonderful weather. Yeah. Oh, man. You actually I, want to be outside. I'm so excited about that. <laughs> I can't even tell you. Uh, so, 
since you have become acquainted with potlucks and covered dishes, do you have a thing that you take? Like, do you have a signature dish? Uh, I do. And mm-hmm. I guess it's easy for me to have that because it's like, look, you know, I love green bean casserole, mm-hmm. but I'm not going to presume I could make a green bean casserole <laughs> that's going to pass muster, right? Uh-huh. So I'm British, so I'm expected to bring a British thing, right. which is fine. And the great thing about that is, it's like if I bought a green bean casserole, people are going to, they're going to run the rule over it. They're going to be like, let's see if this measures up. <laughs> if I bring something British, they don't know. They've got nothing to compare it to. It could be awful and they wouldn't realize it. It's true. So, uh, uh, so generally, I'll bring a trifle. Oh, um, very nice. Yeah, and I mean, and the thing is, I'm, I'm making it like according to the way my mum made it, mm-hmm. but obviously with American ingredients. Mm-hmm. So it's never going to be quite the same, but it usually comes out pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and if and the great thing about you know, I'll always bring these to work things or anytime there's like one of these covered dishes. Like, oh yeah, I'll bring a trifle, uh-huh. and I can't lose because either everybody tries it and they're like, oh wow, this is really good, and everybody enjoys it, uh-huh. or hardly anybody touches it, and I bring the whole <laughs> thing home, and, and, and then I get you to just get a trifle. exactly. I also feel like trifles look very impressive, like all the layers. Yeah, they're, <laughs> they're supposed to. Sometimes, you know what I mean, because I, I, I make no claims to, to being a, a gourmet chef or anything. Sometimes uh, mm-hmm. the layers don't quite come out as cleanly as I'd like. But right. I've learned to let go of that, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? I yeah. feel like uh, authenticity, or like something that tastes good uh, is going to be better to me than something that looks oh, good. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know. Do, do you like to cook? Yeah, I do. I don't often... The thing is, the things that I like to cook mm-hmm. are generally things that, like, for example, my children are not that bothered in about. Uh-huh. So if I'm cooking, for the most part, it's just... If I'm cooking something I really like, it's mostly just for me. So then, you know, it's hard to work out the motivation or have the time sometimes. Yeah. Um, but I do... Cooking's one of those things that I don't often take the time to do it, but when I do, I'm like, wow, I really like this. Especially, <laughs> yeah. you know, when you can come out with something that's actually good mm-hmm. at the end. And you think, There's, wow, I achieved something. Every now and then I'll take it. I'll like make a point to go look up a recipe, go grocery shopping, do the whole thing. And there's always a point when, usually it's when garlic is cooking. Right. When I'm like, oh, right. This feels amazing. <laughs> like, it's so good to watch this change and come together. Uh, but it can feel daunting and exhausting. Well, see, one, one of the things, that, which is ridiculous, really, but, but one mm-hmm. of the things that makes me feel together, good about the process is when I've got, I can think, look how many things I've got going at once, and they're mm-hmm. all going to be ready at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, I'm not going to do this thing, and then it sits there and gets cold. It's like, no, I'm, I plan everything. Okay, I'm going to start everything, so everything's going to be ready at, like, 4 o'clock or whatever time it is, mm-hmm. all together, and it's all ready, and I get to eat it all at the same mm-hmm. time. And yeah. I don't know, I feel like the more things I've got going, <laughs> the next time I talk to my mum on the phone, I'll be like, yeah, there were five different things, like five of them. I had all the burners going and everything. That's and, very impressive. I'm nev- I'm very bad at that. I have to cook like a pasta dish or a stew, like a gumbo or a chili or something. I need to make something where everything's in the same right. pot if I want it to be right. ready all at once. Because I can't, I can't, I haven't gotten the skill of juggling. But what what kind of stuff do you make for your kids? Huh. Well, see, okay. So the thing with my children is, it's it's difficult. My my daughter who is who is nine is really picky. I mean, mm-hmm. like really picky. Mm-hmm. We'll eat very little besides beefaroni at this point. <laughs> um, and I find it, you know, I want to encourage her to try other things, but I don't want to be too heavy-handed about it because I was an incredibly picky eater when I was growing up, mm-hmm. and my mum just let me go with it. Mm-hmm. Pretty much all I would eat were variants of potatoes and mm-hmm. fish fingers, or what you call fish sticks. And she figured, well, you know, fish is good for the brain, and he's growing okay, and he eats a lot of wheat, so I'm not going to worry about it. Um, so I wish that Zoe would eat more than um, uh, beef roni. I mean, she does eat like other things, but I can't get her to try stuff. It's like, you know, if one of her uh, friends on the playground would say, try this, and she probably would try it and like it, but it's difficult to get her to try things. Whereas my son, who is seven, will eat just anything you put in front of him. Mm-hmm. So um, in that sense, there's not... Like, I don't get a lot of guidance from them. It's like, whatever <laughs> yeah. I'm cooking for my son or myself, I'll just maybe do some beef roti for my daughter or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, now, so that's why I said generally, if I'm, if I'm thinking about cooking something specific, it's always going to be something that, that I've thought about that I would like. Because with mm-hmm. them, on the one hand, with one of them, he doesn't mind. And mm-hmm. with the other one, it's like, well, no, it's got to be like, you know, this one thing. Yeah. Um, so I really, I, I mean, but they, they love baking. So yeah. like we'll we'll bake cakes together because mm-hmm. you know they're all about oh cracking the eggs and stirring mm-hmm. and and all of that. So generally, that's that's what they that, that's where I can involve them in the process. So normally that, yeah. that's what they'll get them excited. So like, I'll say okay. Um, yeah, making a dough I think is particularly fun for kids. Yeah, Just definitely. Seeing that all come together. I was a nanny for two weeks, two terrible weeks. Wow, it was bad. It was bad news. Uh, I cried every day. Oh, my God. <laughs> well, well, I, I can understand why. Uh, but one of the reasons was uh, this kid, he would he would really wanted to cook, and he really wanted to bake, and he had 
baked a son with his parents, but he was still, he was like six, so he wasn't quite ready. Right. Um, to, especially not ready to do stuff on his own. But they had an open house, like there weren't, it was just, the kitchen was open and there was no way to close it off so that the kids couldn't get in there. And if I turned my back for five minutes, he was on a counter with a like bread pan on there, just dumping whole things of cinnamon <laughs> in it and then just water and like a little bit of flour and just stirring it right, and going right, crazy. And right. there's just, he, he, oh, he wasted so much cinnamon. Oh, <laughs> And it was just like, it was unstoppable. I could not oh, yeah. leave him alone without him trying to bake something. Yeah, that could be very single-minded about stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially that. There were other reasons why that job didn't work out. But I was so it was so charming the first day. I was like, oh, you really want to cook and bake? And then it was like, no, right. you're a monster. Well, it's, it's, like, it's like anything. Most things that kids do are cute the first time. But right. because they'll do those things 7,000 times, it, you know, it, does, it does chafe after a while. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, do you find that, like, is there a thing that you are famous for with your kids? Like, a thing you bake that's your, like, dad's thing that he makes? Yeah, I guess, um, and then this is really, this, and this is a North Carolina thing, actually, mm-hmm. that, that I picked up. It's uh, blueberry pancakes on a Sunday morning. Oh, so yeah. So, I make blueberry pancakes every Sunday morning. Now, there's nothing fancy about it. It's out of the Jiffy box. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, um, this, there's one weekend. Of, I'm going to make, I'm going to do it properly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we went, I can't even remember what we got, but I went to, like, you know, Whole Foods or Fresh Market or something, you know, with the kids. They said, look, we're going to get this good, you know, this really, you know, it's going to be good for you. It's going to taste so good. Mm-hmm. No, they wouldn't touch it. <laughs> I, they would not touch it. I cooked them and my daughter turned her nose up at it. But the Jiffy, you know. Right. So now that's, so that's the thing. And that's always been the thing ever since they were babies. And see, I got that from, like, when I moved here, um, my girlfriend and then my wife, her grandmother would make blueberry pancakes every Sunday morning. And mm-hmm. I'd never had, see, in England, pancakes are more of a savoury thing. They're not sweet. You wouldn't, oh, you know, okay. have them with fruit cooked into them or anything. Mm-hmm. It's just like the batter. Um, and so this like blueberry pancakes were like a revelation to me. Like, this, thing's, <laughs> this is incredible, uh-huh. and like they're so easy to make. Um, except, of course, at the same time, you know, it's trickier than it looks. Because mm-hmm. one of the things I found, you know, um, moving around from stove to stove, you know, mm-hmm. the difference between a stove and a frying pan, and even the spatula can really throw you with blueberry pancakes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And blueberry pancakes, they're smart because they know, like, they they sit there right, mm-hmm. and they're just they're just you know they're just fizzing away, mm-hmm. but they know that. You know, they're, they're not going to turn brown. But as soon as you turn your back, if a kid needs you for five <laughs> seconds, they're going to burn. You know what I mean? And it's the same Very thing with... tricky breakfast. Right. And it's the same thing with flipping blueberry pancakes. Like obviously, if you try and flip them too early, you know, they're just, it's just liquid that's going to move around. Mm-hmm. But see, that's where... It's kind of like, um, you know, with dogs, right? They say you shouldn't show any fear around dogs. If you, if you, well, the, the blueberry pancakes, they can sense it, right? So if you've got a spatula. When you go in to flip a, a blueberry pancake, you can't uh-huh. hesitate. Uh-huh. If you go in, like, you, you show any kind of caution or, like, you're not sure about it... Uh-huh. Then they'll just disintegrate. You've got to go in there and say, "No, you, I'm flipping you right now." You've got to go in with a sure hand and flip those things. And then you know, the, and this is because this is the thing too. Kids are picky, so you know, if my if my daughter's blueberry pancakes have got too much brown on them, or they're not mm-hmm. sufficiently round, she'll reject them. Oh, and, you know, no. that sounds ridiculous, right? Because you think back in the fifties, you'd hit the kid, and then the kid would eat the pancakes. But that's not how we do things now, no. you know. So, uh, so she rejects the pancakes. So what do I do? I go back and I make some others, and I flip them, and I get yeah. them just right, and cut her, you know, cut them in the shape of her, the letters of her name. So, so, so she can't can't tell if they were round or not. Right. But then, but then of course, that's where the balance of the two kids comes in handy. Because my son will eat anything. So if my daughter rejects them, I take them back while nobody's looking. I just put them on his plate, and, and he happily eats them. But yeah, blueberry pancakes. That's that's the thing that yeah. I think you know that, that they associate me with food wise. So if pancakes are savory in England, uh, what what do you put on them? Well, okay, so so here's the thing. So generally, growing up, the only time we ever had pancakes was uh, on Pancake Day. You mm-hmm. know, like uh, Shrove Tuesday or Ash Wednesday or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So my mum would make pancakes, and it would be the same kind of batter that we would use for Yorkshire puddings, which mm-hmm. is something I guess we can talk about in a minute. If you want. <laughs> yeah. um, so it's just this basically plain lump of batter, and I would have mint sauce. Mm-hmm. on them I can't remember exactly well actually there was some logic to that um, a mint sauce is something else I probably need to <laughs> yeah I need all of this yeah, uh, yeah. glossary um, so okay so right I've got to backtrack here. so okay 
my favourite thing, like when I when I go home, is to have like a, a traditional English roast dinner, and this mm-hmm. is what my mum always makes. And sometimes I make it; it's not quite as good, but but it'll do. So you have you know roast potatoes, you got some sort of meat like roast lamb, or traditionally you have mint sauce on roast lamb. Mm-hmm. Have you ever had mint sauce? Like uh, mint jelly? Is... No, see that's no. the thing. There's a distinction. Yeah. Uh-huh. Oh man, very different. Mint sauce is literally it's just like crushed chopped mint in vinegar. Whereas oh. the jelly, it's got that jelly consistency. But this mm-hmm. is literally just mint floating in vinegar, vinegar. is all it is. Okay. So, and traditionally, you have mint sauce on roast lamb. <laughs> I was never a big fan of roast lamb growing up. I don't mind it now, but I don't eat it a great deal. But, so, but I like the mint sauce. So mm-hmm. when I was a kid, I didn't eat meat until I was about 15. It wasn't any kind of conscientious objection. I just didn't like it, mm-hmm. um, except for fish. Mm-hmm. So when it came time to have roast dinner, I didn't like vegetables much either. So basically <laughs> what I would have, picky. I would have the, the roast potatoes and the mashed potatoes, which were just boiled, and then the Yorkshire pudding, which is just this batter. And it's just a mixture of flour and eggs and, and milk and you you know you whip it up and then you put it kind of in some, uh, uh, you would use like the little cookie trays, you know, with the indentations mm-hmm. for each cookie mm-hmm. and just put it in that and then it rises. Sometimes they get called popovers. They may be maybe right. a very distant cousin of the biscuit, but a very different thing. Right. But anyway, so I would have mint sauce on those. And since essentially the pancakes were the same batter, but just cooked in a pan instead of, you know, baked in the oven, mm-hmm. I was like, okay, well, mint sauce should be good good on those too mm-hmm. and it was mm-hmm. um, and so that's what I would have on them now and that was what my brother did too and my mum mm-hmm. thought it was weird and strange yeah, that we did this I mean it sounds strange to me to think about putting mint and vinegar on a pancake or on right. even a very plain pancake but right but it was but it was de- it was delicious uh-huh. um, but see the thing is like I guess what I should be able to do now is sit and say well this is what other British people had on their pancakes but I have no idea because <laughs> I grew up in my house and that was uh-huh. what we had yeah. and essentially you know I um, left home, went to college, and then moved here. So I've never been an adult in England where I would find out these things. You know, <laughs> right. when I'm a kid, I wasn't curious enough to wonder what other people had their pancakes. All I knew was mint sauce on pancakes. You know, uh-huh. when you're a kid, you figure like everybody else's life is just like yours. Yeah, everyone so, else does it exactly the same. And I suspect other people were not having mint sauce on their pancakes, but that's what I did. But now yeah. I haven't had mint sauce on a pancake probably for pff, close to thirty years mm-hmm. because I haven't been in England for Pancake Day, and you know, mm-hmm. and. For some reason, it seems weird for me to put mint sauce on a pancake here. I don't think I would do that. Yeah. But the dough is different. It's sweeter here. There's no sweetness in... Yeah, there's no. salt and stuff in it yeah. you know, in England. So. Interesting. Yeah, I find sort of in that way that you, it takes a while for you to figure out that anyone else does things differently than you do. I, start, I started to analyze sort of my friends and their families by how it felt to eat dinner at their house, which is a pretty typical when you start to have sleepovers. I notice that... Uh, you could sort of summarize like, oh, their family, they're the, they're the like brainy trivia family. They right. quiz each other over dinner. And they're the uh, sort of like debatey argumentative family. It's not like actually angry arguing, but sure, it's just sure. sort of like everything's a topic that's up for discussion. Or the really polite family that just silently, quietly eats their dinner. Right. And my family was... I real and then you kind of had the reflection back on your own family that I realized mine was the um, TV and humor family. Right. Is that usually and I think I I am was so glad that we always had the TV on during dinner because it wasn't a distraction from one another. It was a thing we were doing together. Right. Uh, so whether it was like Jeopardy sometimes or Wheel of Fortune or Seinfeld and we're it was like a shared language that yeah, we were all yeah, learning yeah. together. And also, my family entirely interacts by trying to make each other laugh. Right. Which is great. It's a wonderful way to be. Yeah. yeah, I think it's interesting always when you sort of travel outside and realize, oh, this isn't, y'all right. aren't setting up uh, TV trays around your fireplace and the TV and you're just quietly, quietly having meatloaf. <laughs> well, see, when when I was growing up, like we sometimes we would eat around the table in the kitchen, but not often. And as we got older, like my dad would have his like on a tray, go watch TV, and so then we'd all like sit in the living room, and my mum <laughs> would make fun of Star Trek or whatever it was he was watching. But one of the things I love about going home now is that for whatever reason. When it was Sunday dinner, mm-hmm. um, we would always sit in the dining room because we didn't have a dining room grow, growing up. There was like the, the living room and the, and the kitchen. And then um, my grandmother moved in with us and they built an extension on the house. So then there, we added a living room. So then the old living room became a dining room and they got a dining table. Mm-hmm. So then we would always sit in there um, and still do. Like when I go home, you know, it's, if it's Christmas dinner or it's, you know, a Sunday dinner, we all like get around the table. And that's mm-hmm. just great. Even, you know, we spend most of the time kind of making fun of each other or whatever, mm-hmm. but... 
And that's, especially because that house where my parents live, I was born in that house and grew up in that house and mm-hmm. they still live there. And so like having dinner in there is um, just, I don't know, it's like, you, for me at least, I mean, because they, they never left there, but for me it's really like communing with like the past. I mean, right. even the ceiling yeah. tiles, there's a dent in one of the ceiling tiles where we had a bottle of uh, wine or champagne on my 21st birthday and the cork flew up there uh-huh. and it made a dent. And yeah. my dad got mad, and my niece, my brother's daughter, who was, what, um, four at the time, said, oh, it's only a little hole. You know? <laughs> and everybody, whenever I'm home, and any time anybody looks up and sees that, we'd uh-huh. like make that joke again, you know? Yeah. And that's like been 20, 21 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, which actually is funny, because well, listening to your podcast and thinking about this mm-hmm. whole idea of like how people think about food, and mm-hmm. it's like, you know, like you were talking about with the family meals and stuff, it, it means different things to different people. And right. I guess like food, for all of us, like it's a source of sustenance, right? And then mm-hmm. beyond that, people think of food in different ways. I guess like for some people, it's like an adventurous thing, or it's about trying new things. Mm-hmm. And I've come to realize, I think that one of the most important ways I think about food is um, as a reminder of home. Mm-hmm. And not necessarily like where I grew up, because I think that's important for everybody, but it's weird how... Um, yeah, I've been thinking as I've grown older, especially in the last few years, I've thought a lot more about like what home means to me. Mm-hmm. And there's been a real evolution in that thinking. Because like, like I grew up in this house, right? And it's, I still go back there and it's my favorite place on earth. You know, nowhere else makes me feel like that. But, mm-hmm. you know, I don't live there anymore. And so when I first moved here, I used to say whenever I was going back to England, oh, I'm going home like for a visit. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, over time I started to say, well, I've, I've got two homes, you know, there's home in England and there's home here. And now, you know, mm-hmm. after 20 years, and I've got my career here and my children here, and I'm obviously not going anywhere. Mm-hmm. This is very much my home. North Carolina is my home, but England's like where I'm from. Mm-hmm. But then I used to think that, you know, I would never um, feel quite at home in another place like I would that house. And certainly, you know, where I grew up has got a unique kind of place in my heart. But what I've realized is everywhere I've lived, every kind of space that I've lived in, it's been really important to me that that felt like home like to right. me uh, it's very important to me to feel like I belong wherever it is I happen to be so yeah. when I moved into this place you know we're sitting in my place I moved here in December and mm-hmm. um, before I even got it kind of functional I wanted stuff up on the walls like mm-hmm. I had to greg the place up is what I did. <laughs> you know the posters that I've had for 20 years and things just, and my CDs things that would make me feel like okay when I get home yeah this is my place you know what right. I mean mm-hmm. um, and the reason I mentioned that in association with food is that, you know, they say like the, the sense of taste and the sense of smell especially is like one of the most evocative senses. And I talked mm-hmm. about like mint sauce. Mm-hmm. So now I've got mint sauce in the fridge because every once in a while I'll cook something that you know, I'll put it on. Uh-huh. And when I smell mint sauce, I am literally transported to the dining room at my parents' house. Uh-huh. Um, and so I think that's why, like I, I cook roast mm-hmm. dinners occasionally and toad in the hole because I like them, but it's not just because I like the tastes, mm-hmm. but it's because the associations are so powerful. I mean, right. it's literally, I sit down and I eat a toad and it's not an actual toad. We can get onto that in a yeah, minute. Yeah. <laughs> I sit down and eat a toad when I'm on my own or the kids or I've cooked it for friends or whatever. Like, you know, this, I'm, I'm home right now. Even mm-hmm. though I know I'm here and I'm not there, it's mm-hmm. like there's like this direct connection that's, that's made. Yeah. And I don't know, it's weird. It was kind of like an epiphany. Yeah. Yeah. You know, food to me means home. It's the same thing with the Weetabix. I eat mm-hmm. for breakfast. Mm-hmm. You know, after I got separated and divorced and I don't think it's a coincidence that I started eating a ton of Weetabix about that time because it was something that made me feel anchored like nothing right. in my life kind of made sense everything was falling apart but having a bowl of Weetabix in the morning is like yes this I'm still Greg you know what yeah. I mean this is a connection to like who I am I still you know what I mean because mm-hmm. it's it's when things I think when things kind of uh, throw you for a spin or throw you for a loop or um, food is one of those things that is like a, con- a constant right because you know, right. you've got to eat uh-huh. um, I mean I didn't eat a great deal back then but I ate a lot of Weetabix uh, <laughs> no I absolutely I think I I sort of I think about that about the different places that have felt particularly like home. Right. Whether it's my childhood home, which would probably be um, cheesy potato soup with bacon, like oh, that nice. tastes, and in the win that in the winter, and uh, grilled chicken Caesar salad in the summer. Like those are the two. Those are the two things that taste like home. Or I just got this is a big one. I just moved into my own apartment to oh, live wow. alone for the first time, and I made a big point that this is going to be my space and it's going to feel like home and I got a toaster oven for the first time since I think I went away to college and my my parents even after they divorced both of them for breakfast most days of the week would make me an Eggo waffle with peanut butter and mm-hmm. syrup like uh, and I, as soon as I got a toaster oven I'm like I'm, yep. going to, I'm getting Eggo waffles yep. like I have to right. this is home I'm having Eggo waffles with peanut butter and I think that or the uh, we have good friends that live in the mountains that are like, um, they have a cattle farm and like an aunt and uncle to me and, bear, and Helen, uh, she makes homemade sourdough bread that we call Helen bread. And if any sourdough bread reminds me a little bit of it, but it's not quite it. And if I ever have that, it's if that feels like 
the week in between Christmas and New Year's that we right. could spend time there with her. Um, or if I have, um, like, a boiled egg, it makes me think of my mother. Like, any any of those sorts of things. I think I have very strong, strong home food associations like that. It's interesting you say that about the, the toaster oven and, like, having your own place. Because the weird yeah. thing is, like, I'm 42 years old, and this is the first time I've ever lived alone. Uh-huh. I mean, for the period of time, you know, when my children aren't here. Because, you know, I was married, and then I had, like, roommates or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think you're right. I think that's probably why it was powerful for me, like, being here. It's like, okay, one of the things that makes this home is, like, eating those things that feel familiar. Yeah. And, like, you mentioned about um, the... The sourdough bread making you think of that particular time of year too. It's interesting mm-hmm. how I mean I've noticed the same thing. A certain kinds of food can make you feel like it's a certain time of year. Mm-hmm. Like eating new potatoes, um, mm-hmm. you know, the little potato it always makes me think of uh, uh, the summer. Obviously, because my mum would always she would make salad, potatoes and salad and mm-hmm. chicken in mm-hmm. the summer. Or there's certain kinds of chocolate that, that everybody has in England for Christmas called Quality Street, and it's like this. Mm-hmm. It's a tin. It's got mm-hmm. all different kinds like toffee and caramel and different kinds. Uh-huh. But if I ever taste anything that tastes like there were these little triangles that I like, they were just like plain chocolate truffles. Mm-hmm. But anytime I have kind of a plain chocolate truffle kind of thing, mm-hmm. it makes me feel like Christmas Day. Yeah. And the little green triangles that mm-hmm. I used to have, you know. Um, wait, so what is a toad in the hole? <laughs> okay, okay. So, yeah, I wish I wish it was anywhere near as uh, exciting or weird as it sounds. But that's the thing about British food is mm-hmm. the answer is always less interesting. <laughs> you know, there's a reason they don't call it British cuisine. It's like mm-hmm. bland. I mean, I love it because mm-hmm. I grew up with it. Okay, so toad in the hole. I'm not sure where the name came from. Uh, but I'm sure I could Google it. But essentially all it is, so we talked about the batter that's used in Yorkshire puddings and pancakes. Uh-huh. Same thing, but it's sausages. So you fry up some sausages. Uh-huh. Um, and then, so you fry the sausages for you know 20 minutes, half an hour or whatever. And then you uh, you you make the, the batter like you would for pancakes or whatever. You put it in a casserole dish and you bake it for about 20 minutes. Uh-huh. And so then the batter rises and there's always... Uh, Sausage sticking out of it, and that's toad in the hole. What the toad is, what the hole is, I just, I don't know. I don't know. But, and see, here's the thing I make, um, it's also often known as sausage toad as well. Uh-huh. And I make that for myself on a reasonably regular basis. Uh-huh. The trouble is finding just the right sausages. Because sausages, uh-huh. so you were asking earlier about like things that freaked me out when I first came here. Uh-huh. Getting, and I don't want to say good sausages, because there's a lot of good sausage here, but getting the kind of sausage I wanted was near impossible. Because uh-huh. It took me a long while before I could find just sausages. Like, you can't go somewhere and just, I just want a sausage. No, it's Italian sausage, it's Polish sausage, it's smoked sausage, it's hickory sausage, it's, you know, glazed sausage, it's like donut sausage, whatever. And I'm just like, I just want some pork sausage. Uh, and eventually I was able to, you know, find these things. But then again, it's like just like the cornflakes. I can have a pork sausage and it's good, delicious. It's just not quite the same. It's not exactly yeah. what you it's were not... thinking of when you said, yeah. Right. Yeah. Like with bacon. What is the deal with American bacon? I can't figure it out. So, well, what is British bacon? Well, well here's the thing, right? I, I, I don't... Well, there, there's, two, there's two issues that I have. And I mean, I love... You know, American bacon's fine. I mean, I want to sound like... You know, I'm an, I'm an American citizen now, uh-huh. legally, thank you very much. Uh-huh. So, you know, I don't want to sound like I'm bashing it. Number one, I don't understand why when Americans cook bacon, it seems like the goal is to make sure there is zero moisture left in it. Like, it should be <laughs> bone dry to where you snap it or when you chew it, it just like, you know, crumbles. I don't get uh-huh. that. Because uh-huh. bacon should be chewy, number one. Uh-huh. And number two, like when my mum came, it's not just me, my mum came over and was like, what's the problem with this bacon? The problem, the, the standard, if you go and buy a standard uh, packet of bacon at a grocery store mm-hmm. here, is what British people would call streaky bacon. Because it's got all the fat streaks in it. Yeah. Well, what generally the, the good bacon, the bacon that people uh, eat in England, and the closest thing you have is some Canadian bacon uh-huh. here is a bit closer to it. It's what's generally called back bacon, but there's hardly any fat in it. Uh-huh. It's just literally, you know, it's, it's, uh-huh. it's just the meat. Uh-huh. Um, and you cook it. And you don't cook it until uh-huh. there's no moisture in it, until it's completely uh-huh. shriveled, you know, beyond yeah. where it's not even bacon anymore. Uh-huh. You do it where it's still a little bit, it's cooked, it's uh-huh. still like a little bit pink, and it's chewy. And, the, mm-hmm. you know, and, and obviously any British person will tell you the highest and best use of bacon is in a bacon sandwich. Uh-huh. Two, two slices of bread, butter, bacon, ketchup. Yeah, ketchup? Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah You've got to have ketchup in a bacon sandwich. <laughs> I remember the first time I went into a country restaurant. You know these country mm-hmm. restaurants where they have like the sausage patties and, the, and yeah. I said I wanted a bacon sandwich. Um, and, you know, they was there a bacon biscuit. Like, no, I want a bacon sandwich. And I had to explain to them step by step what I wanted. Like, no, don't toast the bread. I just want two slices of bread. I want butter on it. And uh-huh. I want bacon in it and ketchup. And they couldn't grasp that. I put my own ketchup on. Yeah. Um, and, it, and, of course, the problem was... The, the, bacon the bacon was, was, not was bone ordered. dry and you snap it. You can't, you know, you should be, you ought to be able to take your, your rasher of bacon and fold it so that it fits neatly into the bread. But you can't do that. You just have to snap it. I just, yeah, 
I mean, you know, to each his own. People that grew up with, you know, that kind of bacon, I dare say uh, if they had chewy bacon in England would be kind of freaked out. I I think I would be upset to not have streaky bacon, as you described. Like, I I live for the fat fat there. Like, have you have you had pork belly? Pork belly? Uh, no, I don't know. It's basically a cube of fat. Okay. Like, that's, it's, it's uncured bacon. Okay. Yeah. Unco- uncured pork belly meat. But right. it's most, it's, and it's cut in like a little steak more than in strips. And it's basically all, it, or there's a thick layer of yeah, fat. I mean, I think- and then, and that's the kind of, and that's also a, particularly southern thing well no i think i've had like that when i was a bit of pig pickings you know yeah yeah so yeah and some of the fat you make from a pig picking i guess yeah the first time i went to a pig picking i was i didn't know (laughs) i mean literally i remember um so i was told we were going to this pig picking Mm -hmm. and i just imagined like i was gonna go to a field and choose my pig or something (laughs) and then you know you get there and it was one of those where you were eating out of the pig you know they they, they cooked the pig but it was still very much a pig and and you were just people were just handing me bits of pig and of course i've been eating bits of pig since i discovered sausage at 15 but still it was like okay okay well sorry i feel like i should apologize to her or <laughs> yeah. something which i guess is a nod thing, to the but, head <laughs> right yeah. I, yeah I don't like um and it's hypocritical i mean i've tried being a vegetarian twice mm-hmm. and i just didn't quite manage it just because i love meat but i don't like um eating something um where i can see what it is or more particularly when it's looking at me Mm-hmm. Like so, when I you know I went to China for work, and um, so I was in this hotel, and I went to, and I was really excited about eating from the breakfast buffet because mm-hmm. I got there you know in the evening. I was like, okay, breakfast buffet, I'm gonna have Chinese breakfast. But I go to this hotel and it's all Westernized. They even had um, southern uh, southern fried potatoes or something. I'm thinking <laughs> this is probably not southern China no. fried potatoes. But so I ended up having to eat mostly American stuff. But they had a couple of things. Um, there was a fish. And like a, some crab or something. But all it still had the eyes on it. Uh-huh. And so it's on the buffet. And I just felt bad taking a piece of this fish when the fish <laughs> is like staring at me. I mean, you know, fish that can look everywhere at once. And so, you know, I didn't I didn't eat the fish just because I felt bad. Which is ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, it's... goodness to me. It's, I kept the fish finger industry going when I was a kid. But once there's eyes on it, I don't want to eat Well, that. you need the cognitive dissonance. Yeah, You need yeah, all good of the me. steps. Society would collapse without cognitive dissonance. Um, so I guess... Uh, We've mentioned uh, what frog in the hole and toad uh, in the hole. Toad, toad in the hole. Yeah, big difference. Did yeah, <laughs> important, important difference. Toad in the hole, um, and uh, and mint sauce. But what is a thing that yeah? If you have if you uh, your kids aren't over, if you just have a night totally to yourself to eat whatever you want, what is your typical? Well, out, outside of those things, mm-hmm. um, it's. It's Indian food, really, mm-hmm. which is kind of funny because you know I mentioned how everybody knows like the stereotype about British food is it's very bland, which mm-hmm. it is, mm-hmm. um, and I think that's kind of why Indian uh-huh. food is so hugely popular mm-hmm. in England. Mm-hmm. Um, it's because they were starved of flavour, and here <laughs> comes some flavour. Of course, mm-hmm. the flip side of it is that because in a way it's almost surprising because you think okay if British people as a rule are used to this kind of bland food they wouldn't be able to handle it but I mean people love curry in England to the point where they've had like newspaper polls oh Britain names its its favourite food and it's an Indian dish it's usually like chicken tikka masala which of course the funny thing there is that was invented you know the Indians invented it for western western uh Restaurant eaters because mm-hmm. they, you know, uh, di- restaurant eaters. Nobody eats a restaurant <laughs> <laughs> for Western diners uh-huh. um, because it was, I guess, a more palatable sort of version, or they felt um, mm-hmm. that, that they could handle it. But yeah, British people are totally latched onto Indian food, and and I'm the same way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do, you know, I love to have a good curry, or you know, mm-hmm. I mean, I I like the spicier stuff, but then there's that borderline. It's like when it becomes more work than it is pleasure. Then mm-hmm. I stop. I'm not going to be one of these people. Like, well, I want to. I want to say I've eaten this thing because it's the spiciest thing. Yeah. Um, but I do like a, a good spicy curry. A good. Yeah. You don't want to be sweating and crying. No. No. I've been there, yeah. and it's like you know, you get to the point where you think, why? Why? You know, <laughs> you know, when you're young, you think, yeah, I'm going to do this because yeah. I'm stupid. But yeah. hopefully. But you... does your dinner need to hurt you? <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, that's the problem. I mean, I guess the only benefit is then you justifies eating more ice cream afterwards. <laughs> right. Because yeah. ice cream. That see that's <laughs> that, if I'm 100 percent honest, you say mm-hmm. okay, if your kids yeah. are not here, what are you going to eat for dinner? It's going to be ice cream. Uh-huh. If I'm honest, I'd be a liar if I said it wasn't. Uh-huh. I mean. I'm lucky that I don't think I have an addictive personality, but mm-hmm. if I have anything approaching an addiction, it's mm-hmm. ice cream. Mm-hmm. I have a real problem when it comes to ice cream. I uh, I worked in an ice cream shop for about six months, an ice cream and coffee shop that had a, an amazing uh, espresso Oreo ice cream. Okay. 
that was my breakfast for about six months. I can it was, appreciate that. It was... I mean, <laughs> I don't, I don't drink coffee. I'm just like tea. I can't stand it. But ice cream. See, I realised there was there was a moment, and I can remember it with clarity. It was a moment I realised that my ice cream thing was probably a problem. Mm-hmm. One of the the newspapers I worked at had an ice cream snack machine, mm-hmm. which you know, I didn't, this was just amazing to me. It's like <laughs> that I can go, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, as a matter of fact, what, one of my happiest days of working there was like on a summer day. It was really hot, so the machine was having to work a little bit harder to stay cold. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I bought like a cream sickle or something. But because the machine was working so hard to stay cold, th- I got three of them stuck together. <laughs> and I was like, wow, three of them. Stuck together. I thought, you know. I can't eat all three of them. That would be really that would be too much. So I gave one away and had the other two. But anyway, so this one day I got one of these. Um, I can't kind of like a fudge sickle kind of thing. You know where it's like the ice cream and then there's all the crumbled nuts on the outside. Oh of it. yeah. So I'm eating one of those at my desk. I've gone and got it and I'm sitting there at my desk and I'm eating. Um, and as I was finishing up, some of the the crumbs and the things fell onto the keyboard. Mm-hmm. And before I knew what I was doing, I lift up the keyboard and I was trying to suck the little nuts out from between <laughs> the keys. And then it was like at that point I was like, you know. I may have a problem. Um, it wasn't long. I think it was a coincidence, but it wasn't long after that they actually took the ice cream machine out. But see, so now I don't. I don't keep. I never buy more than say like a, a tub of Ben and Jerry's at a time because I know that I have no sense of moderation, mm-hmm. and I will. I will eat it and I will eat it quick. So I can't yeah. buy a great big tub because I've. I've right. just. I can't stop. But those pints are great. Yeah, exactly. That's a perfectly reasonable, Danny. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, and it's one of those things like you know. Living on my own at 42, it's like I'm doing some of those things that somebody who lived on their own at 21 would do. It's like, I'm going to have ice cream for dinner. Why? Because nobody's here to stop me. That's <laughs> yeah. why. Because I'm an adult. <laughs> you know? Well, uh, I think that's perfect. That's amazing. And this has been uh, wonderful. One last thing. Uh, do you have a favorite toast or blessing that you like to say before meals? Okay, so... Not really, but here's the thing. What what in it, what in uh, everybody in England says, and that I would say is is cheers. Uh-huh. And you know, you think, well, that's the most obvious thing. But the interesting thing about cheers to me is that you know, in England, people say cheers as I mean, they say cheers as a toast, but they say cheers as thank you. Mm-hmm. It's an informal way to say thank you. So mm-hmm. I'll, you know, I'll cheers. So I do that here a lot, especially in work emails. You know, everybody when people sign up work emails, they they always want to sign something that's friendly but kind of professional, like best or all the best or thank you, many thanks. Uh-huh. And I'm like, no, that all sounds false to me. But I'll say cheers so I just say cheers in my emails uh-huh. and so people that have conversed with me or know me and know I'm from England they're like oh that's the thing Greg does that's cute and some of them even say cheers back but I like the fact that some people are utterly confused by it because <laughs> yeah. you know if we've only ever corresponded by email or if somebody outside my organisation doesn't know me and they're like why is he saying cheers and I don't know I like the idea of somebody uh, <laughs> on the other end of an email being a bit confused <laughs> yeah. but any time that I am uh, in a position to make a toast, that's exactly what I'll say. Because to me, it might seem obvious, but it's just the most natural thing to say. You know, when you say cheers, everybody knows exactly what you're saying. Yeah. Like, to me, it comes to everything. It's cheers to your health, it's cheers to you, it's like, here's to, you know, here's to ice cream, it's like, here's to whatever <laughs> you want it to be. So yes, it All would right. be cheers. Well, cheers. Cheers. Thank you very much, Greg. You're welcome. It's been fun. Clarified Butter is produced by Ashley Melzer and me, Amy Allen. To learn more about our guest and about us, visit clarifiedbuttershow.com or keep the conversation going on Twitter and Instagram at ClarifiedB. And by all means, don't forget to hit subscribe. Until next time, eat what you like and say thank you. Thank you.